So ideally, Brad, in our part of the world, I'm talking southern Missouri, northern Arkansas, and I know there's some difference from extreme southern Missouri to the north uh, to southern uh, down into central Arkansas. There's some difference on the timeline for getting those food plots out. But uh, generally speaking over that area, when do we need to have our fields ready and putting seed in the ground? What's the, what's the date or what's the week? So, Mike, I would say that uh, our first opportunity is creeping up on us is, is frost seeding. And so typically for northeast Arkansas, I like to frost seed in the last week of February. And with, with little to no ground prep, if we have an area we want to establish into clover. Camel boots on my feet, bow in my hand, walking in the early Hornady dawn. presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. I'm the Red Bull Mike Crace. Wayne Locke is here in the studio. Alex is uh, going to be out of pocket for today, but Wayne, that's okay. We got her covered. That's right. And uh, Mike, we're uh, glad to have you back, and we all understand why you were not here last week. And again, we want to all send our condolences about the passing of your mother. Well, I appreciate that, and and, and the pouring of the, uh, the 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 outreach of of condolences and, and love has been almost overwhelming. So I appreciate that from from everybody out there. All right, so Wayne got a big show for today. We're gonna it's a little bit early, but not really because here we are, you know, into the uh, the final uh, ten days or so of January, and it's time to start thinking about food plots for the spring. Correct. Yep, and we have a great guest coming on. Everybody knows him, and that's Brad Doyle from Eagle Seed and. Brad's got a lot of uh, information he says he has to pass on to us about spring plots because it is different than uh, fall food plotting. Mm-hmm. And we'll cover uh, everything. from. I mean, we've got some questions from from listeners that uh, Brad's going to answer for us. So all that's coming up today here on American Roots Outdoors. Big news locally, uh, Wayne, is uh, the archery season ended January 15th in Missouri. Arkansas goes until, I think, the end of February. So they're still hunting. But we've got the final deer harvest numbers from the Missouri Department of Conservation. Uh, they actually came out on Wednesday. And uh, so I'm going to give you a, a – and I think you actually heard me talk about this on, on Wednesday <laughs> earlier. Um, uh, deer kill for Missouri, up this year or down? I'm going to have to assume with the amount of deer I saw during the summertime, it was up. It was up. The, the harvest numbers, matter of fact, were way up in the state of Missouri, even though the gun deer season, where majority of all the deer are killed, mm-hmm. was down. So that means, really? that means there's either more archery hunters getting out in the woods or the ones that are getting out there had much more success. But, uh, yeah, so let me give you the numbers here. Uh, this year, uh, the total harvest, this is youth hunts, both youth hunts, archery, uh, the uh, muzzleloader season or the, uh, uh, whatever they call it, the uh, – Alternative methods, Alternative season, methods, yeah. And gun deer season. 296,516 deer harvested in Missouri this past season. Wow. That ended on 15th of January. A year ago, the number was 285,873. So that's an increase, in my hillbilly math, of a little over 11,000 deer. That That is surprising. Yeah. Now, that's a big increase. Now, here's the deal. The uh, big the uh, firearms season uh, was was actually a little bit down, and we, and we went through those numbers before. The archery numbers are where we made up a big difference. The increase in archery numbers was by about 6,000. Well, now here's a question for you, and you may or may not have the answer to this, but was do you have it broke down to 
early season, like before gun season archery numbers, and then after gun season? Because I'm curious if people had more success at the end of the year. Or were they just not nailing them out at the beginning of the year? Yeah, they just uh, they just gave us one number okay. for, for archery season. Uh, but um, let's see, and, and looking at this, archery deer numbers, 67,180. Wow. That's up from 61,407 a year ago. So of the 11,000 increase, 6,000 of it was by archery hunters. Well, that's fantastic. And we've gotten a lot of people that have left messages in that on Facebook talking about that. They're getting into the archery because it just gives them a longer season. Yeah, you longer know, season. Right. And, and with the weather being as what it what, what it has been in this winter so far, knock on wood, the archery hunters have more opportunity to get out in pleasant weather. Oh yeah, I can't. I mean, I've hardly put a coat on all. Well, of course I, I well, hardly put. From a, Ohio. I'm from Ohio. I hardly put a coat on down here at all. But yeah, uh, yeah no, the temperatures down here have been great. And if you're a weekend hunter, you've got to love it. Yeah, but uh, anyway, number one county uh, this year. Uh, let's see, top harvest counties for the overall deer season, Franklin County, no surprise there. They had over 5,700 deer harvested. Howell County here in south central Missouri, uh, 5,367. And Callaway County. I actually spent some time in Callaway County back during football season. A player played up there, and that looks like deer country. Hmm. And apparently it is. So those were the top three counties. Well, how does Shannon County do? Do you happen to know? I, I, you know, I haven't looked okay. at the at the individual numbers. I was going to tell you, if you go to the Missouri Department of Conservation website, you can actually look at how your county did. And I thought about getting the county-by-county county numbers, but when you talk about, uh, you know, the eight different stations that were on, right. uh, you got to cover all those counties, yeah. and it would take the entire hour to get right. through them all. <laughs> now, also, we had archery turkey season end. Because oh, archery right. turkey season yep. goes on, and the archery turkey numbers were up. Uh, any guesses how many turkeys we kill in the archery season? We're talking fall season only? Um, uh, talking, well, archery uh, yeah, is just in the fall, and then okay. right up until January 15th. Mm. No, I have no idea. 2,905. So if I would have said 3,000, I would have won. You no, would, I would have lost because I went over. Yeah, you've been pretty close. <laughs> uh, Green County in southwest Missouri had 84. Franklin County, 78. And Texas County here in south central Missouri was 61. And that's a pretty good number. That is also up by about 600 from last year. Well, that's fantastic. So the turkey numbers, archery, and again, I think it's because we had a better season for the hunters. And more hunters are getting out there. Uh, Turkey numbers up for archery hunters. Well, that's great. And that's just hopefully that shows that the, the number of turkey are increasing and uh, we'll have a, a great successful spring hunt, too. Well, and the thing about and, and the thing to remember about turkey, uh, archery turkey is you can kill hens, jakes or gobblers. Correct. Uh, you don't have to kill just mature gobblers. So I'm sure that has something to play into it as well. All right. Uh, so. Uh, uh, good numbers, and while well, the Arkansas numbers, once the seasons, you know, the archery season is going on now, although you don't anticipate that they're going to add a whole lot of numbers to what they have right now in Arkansas. Number one, so many people are tagged out. Mm-hmm. And number two, about the only thing they're doing now archery-wise is the urban hunts, okay. uh, which I wish we had more of in Missouri. We don't have many urban hunts in Missouri. Oh, area. yeah, we're going to actually have a whole episode on urban hunting. Uh, that's all I did up in Ohio. Right. Uh, I mean, the majority of my hunting was urban hunting. So yeah. we got, we're going to have a whole episode on that coming up. Yeah, and the, in Arkansas, uh, it is catching on. It's becoming very, very popular. Uh, and, and it doesn't have to be in a big metropolitan. Mm-mm. I mean, they have an urban hunt in Cherokee Village in Arkansas. Right. Uh, you'll have urban hunts and a lot of and uh, actually know a guy who uh, uh, teaches the course you have to take before you're allowed to urban hunt 
Oh, see, now I did not know that. You have to take a course in Arkansas? Yeah, in Arkansas, you have to take a course and get specially certified. Uh, and you have to shoot your bow, and you have to have a particular score before they're going to turn you loose on an urban hunt. Okay, yeah, there are places in Ohio that had the same things. You had to go to the city police department, and you had a, you had one shot and one arrow. You had to hit the, the dot, and if you didn't hit it, try again later. Sorry, you're not getting your, your permission slip. <laughs> yeah, well, it can be very dangerous. Um, and also, uh, something else to mention, uh, hunting, hunting incidents in Missouri. There were four firearms-related hunting incidents during the 2020-21 fall deer and turkey hunting seasons. The incidents were all self-inflicted and non-fatal. Well, that's good news. So that is excellent news. Yes. All right. All right. So uh, uh, folks are being safe out there, and uh, they're having huge successes. And, again, the uh, uh, the overall deer kill up by about 11,000 from last year. All right. So, Wayne, we have Brad Doyle from Eagle Seed uh, going to be coming up here in just a, a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, going to be talking food plotting, uh, getting ready. And, and right now, I guess, is the time is what Doyle is going to tell us that we need to be getting our ground ready. Oh, yeah, you got to start thinking about it now. I'm sure he's going to be covering all that, but you don't want to wait till the last minute to do it. All right, folks, we're going to take a break. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and his friends. We're back in just a minute. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Water with Bone Collector, and you're listening to my buddy Alex Rutledge on American Roots Outdoors, man. Redbone, what would you say if I could tell you that you could kill a buck on a certain day? I would say you're crazy. There's no way to predict how the bucks are going to move. Well, you're wrong. There's a new camera out called Wise Eye Technologies. These guys can predict the actual deer movement exact time that a deer is going to come through. Really? Wise Eye Technology? This camera has five megapixel pictures, has a GPS system built inside, and it's an experience using this camera. It collects data and tells you the movement, wind direction, everything. On a camera? On a camera. WiseEyeTechnologies.com. And how do I find out more information about these guys? You go to WiseEyeSmartCam.com. I'm using them. You should, too. Make your hunt easier. Use WiseEye. Eagle Seed presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. I'm Redbone Mike Crace. Wayne Locke has joined us in the studio. And we have our guest for today on the line, Mr. Brad Doyle from Eagle Seed, based in Arkansas. Brad, how in the world are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me on this afternoon. Oh, that's, I'm glad you can come and join us because we have a ton of questions for you. <laughs> and I'm sure you're going to answer all of them, but we've got some listener questions, too, that have uh, popped up over the last 24 hours here as soon as people heard that you were going to be on. So we're going to tackle those as we go through this. All right, so, Brad, I guess the, the, I guess the first question, the place you need to start is, uh, uh, is it time now to start getting our ground ready for the spring food plots, or are we early? I would say we are just just in time for, for soil testing. This is a great time of year to get your soil test. It's going to take a couple of weeks for the results, and, and then you can decide what you want to invest in, whether it be lime or fertilizer or even maybe uh, cutting a few trees down, making your food plot bigger. Yeah, and I think we have questions about all of those things <laughs> for you today. And, and my first one would be because I've got a field that's grown up, and I had some. I had a lot of trees on it. I had them all cut uh, last spring. <clears throat> I've got a lot of those cut up. I still got a couple of brush piles I got to get rid of. But uh, somebody told me the other day said you got so many weeds and stuff. You need some lime on your place. And I'm thinking, okay, I was going to do fertilizer after I get it all cleared off. So 
uh, lime and fertilizer or lime or fertilizer? Which which way do you go? And I guess maybe that depends on your soil t- uh, sampling. That is correct. So what happens when you have acidic soil that needs lime is it holds on to the nutrients in the soil, keeping the plants from taking them up. So just adding more fertilizer is not all, is, it's helpful, it's beneficial, but the, the uh, efficiency of that fertilizer goes down. So the lime actually brings the pH up where you get more bang for your buck when you apply fertilizer. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now here's a, uh, to go out with your lime, and let's follow up with another question on lime, pellet versus liquid. Or powder. Or powder. Uh, we, yeah, powder. We have ag lime, which is pulverized powder. Uh, the problem with it, it requires a special type of uh, distributor, uh, usually with a chain floor that walks it back to the spreader. Uh, most commercial operations would, would have that for a lease or available if you purchase a certain amount of lime. Mm-hmm. Pelletize, anybody can do it if they have a spinner spreader, and that would be my choice for small plots versus liquid. Liquid is not always guaranteed. Uh, it's not university research tested and backed. Uh, but it is, it's easy and it's simple to do. So no matter what you do, let's try to bring that pH up to around the mid six range for optimum growth on anything you plant. Okay. Cause I had heard that, uh, liquid lime, although it's easy to, to apply, uh, for especially for guys that have like the little pull behind sprayers and that for their ATVs and that is that the disadvantage is it only lasts a couple months to where pellet lime and ag lime will last you a lot longer, but it takes longer for it to start activating. There's a lot of truth to that in Wayne in that it's the total amount of lime you're putting out. Mm-hmm. So a lot of recommendations, two and a half to five gallons of liquid lime. How, you know, how does that equal a ton of calcium uh, that, that's pulverized? The, it, the math is not there. So okay. it is a quick fix. It's a Band-Aid. Always go with the, uh, the finest, uh, highest quality lime that you can find. Good to know. All right, so Brad, after you put your lime down, I mean, uh, and I, don't, I would assume that you want to do that now. And I've had people tell me, best time to do uh, your lime or fertilizer is right before maybe it's going to snow, because then that snow as it melts will help pull that lime down into the ground. Is, is there any truth to that? So, it, I mean, it's, it's chemistry class, right? You're actually yeah. trying to change uh, the calcium that's in the lime is knocking off the hydrogen. Uh, in the soil. So it takes time. It can take up to a year to bring it up. So yes, the sooner the better on the lime. Exposing it to more of the soil particles will will help it. It'll be more active whenever it it comes time to plant. A rain or a snow, a slow melt, absolutely, would carry it into the soil. And you know how rocky our our Ozark soils are. They they drain well, so it should be able to carry it down with, with every rain that you get. So what you're telling me is I need to get somebody out and bush hog my field right now and get the lime on it. Yes, that would be the, the best, <laughs> uh, most efficient way because if you wait and did it at planting, you're not going to see the benefit as you would if you have a couple of months head start. Okay, very good. And and, and I mentioned uh, bush hogging because i got weeds out there that are head high. Uh, do I need to actually go in and, and till that field too or just knocking those weeds it down depends, as well as I can It depends on what you have to plant with, Mike. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have a disc uh, and a spreader, uh, that perfect. Go for it. Uh, that's a very common way to plant. If you have a no-till drill, great. That's uh, an even better method because you get more even seed depth 
mm-hmm. and and actually the uh, the rate of the the seed versus a uh, broadcast spreader. I do both, so it's uh, whatever you have at your disposal. All right. Now we did have a question from um, Mike from Nebraska, and one of the questions he had is if I don't have equipment or I don't have time to do a soil test, can I? Is there just a general rule of thumb when you're starting a, a an area at the beginning of the year? Just throw down this much. Um, lime and this much fertilizer, and if you're as far as fertilizer, do you have a general fertilizer that you can recommend if you don't have a soil test? Sure, we can. Uh, 500 pounds of pelletized lime per acre would be a general recommendation, no matter what your soil test is. On fertilizer, it would depend on the crop you plant, because certain uh, non-legume species, such as grain sorghum or millet or corn even, would require a lot more nitrogen than cowpeas or soybeans or clover. But normally around 50 to 60 pounds of actual phosphorus and potassium per acre uh, would be uh, in addition to any nitrogen that corn or other non-legume plants uh, plants would uh, require. Okay. What about burning? Burning? I I like to burn. Uh, Burning, you know, it's... it encourages new growth, native growth. It also removes a lot of that, you know, duff layer that would interfere with with uh, cultivation. If you want to do shallow in cul- uh, cultivation, mm-hmm. uh, that's perfect. I, I like to burn, and I, I would I would uh, think it would also kill out some of your small saplings. Uh, Mike, you mentioned mm-hmm. bush hogging. Mm-hmm. You can do that. Uh, some of those are going to want to regrow, but a little heat. Uh, we'll set those back even further and, and knock them out. Because I was just thinking about that when Mike was talking about needing cut his uh, fields down, that maybe cut them down and then wait two weeks and then burn them. You know, once, no, once it gets yes, dry and know, starts the, getting the, brittle, and then go ahead and burn it up. Absolutely. No, the, any, any, the hardest time thing about burning, especially over here in the real flatlands, is just having the right uh, moisture level and humidity level. Mm-hmm, yeah. When that humidity gets, you know, 30% or, or, or lower, Wow, you have real good burning opportunities. So always check with your local uh, forestry service and, and area. And make sure you're not under a burn ban. But it is an awesome way to uh, to re uh, recapture habitat that's been taken away or neglected after years and, and uh, saplings and things like that that grow up in it. Yeah, right, and we're gonna, and we're going to continue talking to Brad here, and we've got to go to break uh, real quick. But Brad, my my final question when we're talking about uh, getting ready here with the uh, uh, with the lime or fertilizer, can you put on too much lime? Mike, we've had people that have called and put four to five tons of lime out per acre. Oh. So, yes, I think you can, but if you're putting out up to around two tons, you're going to be fine. Over time, you know, you, you can gradually put it out as needed if it requires mm-hmm. a lot of lime. Yes, there would be a, a shock value if you put out 10,000 pounds at a time <laughs> per acre. Yeah. Well, and that's what I was thinking. And, and just the cost factor alone, I mean, I would think it's worth spending the twenty nine ninety nine or whatever it is with, the, uh, uh, with your uh, extension office to get the uh, soil test done because then you just put on the correct amount and you don't overspend on that, on that acreage. Most definitely. Set a budget, you know, fall within that budget, put put the majority of, of your investment in line mm-hmm. to bring the pH up and everything else will fall in place and you can spoon feed the fertilizer through the year if you need to. There you go, folks. We're talking with Brad Doyle from Eagle Seed. We've got to take a break and we'll be back. Brad's going to be back and we're going to expand on this uh, 
food plotting for the spring in just a minute. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and his friends. This is Brenda Valentine, and you're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. Up a big old hill, year after year, got my hunting gear. Hornady presents... Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors. This is Wayne Locke, Mike Crace in the studio with me, and we have Brad Doyle from Eagle Seed on the phone with us, and we are going to pick his brain for another 45 minutes here. <laughs> <laughs> not, not that many, but for a while. Yeah, for a while, right. Well, we'll probably still pick his brain after we hang up with him. <laughs> probably will. Right, uh, yeah, and we're talking about the getting ready for the spring food plotting. So ideally, Brad, in our part of the world, I'm talking southern Missouri, northern Arkansas, and I know there's some difference from extreme southern Missouri to the north uh, to southern uh, down into central Arkansas. There's some difference on the timeline for getting those food plots out. But uh, generally speaking over that area, when do we need to have our fields ready and putting seed in the ground? What's the, what's the date or what's the week? So, Mike, I would say that uh, our first opportunity is creeping up on us is, is frost seeding. And so... Typically for northeast Arkansas, I like to frost seed in the last week of February and with with little to no ground prep. If we have an area we want to establish into clover, just simply broadcast the clover onto the ground mm-hmm. in, in the, the month to follow, the cool and thaw, uh, you know, the freeze thaw, thus the word frost seeding, mm-hmm. that actually pushes that seed into the ground. doesn't have to go very far because it's such a small seed, and it is a tremendously easy way to establish a clover plot for the springtime. And both the turkeys love the clover. They do. They do. When we, when we look into planting most of our summer annuals, they do require warmer temperatures. So there there would be the, the time in late April, early May that is most ideal for planting soybeans, cowpeas, grain sorghums, and things like that uh, that would come up within a week of planting. Well, and speaking of temperatures, there's another question that's always asked for, I'm sure everybody gets it and you get a lot of it, but when you talk temperature, are you talking air temperature or soil temperature? Because people have asked me, well, are you are you yeah. referring to soil temperatures? I'm like, you know, hold on, let me ask. <laughs> you know? Great question, great question. We we typically are looking at soil temperature around nine or ten a.m. at an inch to two inches deep. Okay, sixty to sixty-five degrees is ideal for most of those seeds to emerge within seven days. Yeah, that that reminds me of a conversation I had with a gentleman who was operating a. Uh, uh, a gardening spot at a, at a store. I was at a, I was doing a remote uh, at, a, at a store in North Arkansas, and I was talking about I'll get my garden in early. And he said, "Well, it doesn't matter how early you get it in; those seeds aren't going to grow until that temperature reaches about sixty-five degrees in the soil, anyway." <laughs> and I remember that right, and, 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 and I guess that's what consider, you're saying, right? Yeah, and we have to consider the deer are out there waiting for all that new vegetation to come up, and if the mm-hmm. air temperature is still cool. And it, the plants aren't growing that fast, and then they, they you know, they can overeat your uh, pl- your plots and eat them down. So we do want a good forecast so the plants, after they emerge, continue to grow and never look back. Yeah, and, and if you're if you're top seeding, uh, those deer will come out and they'll just eat those seeds. True, and, and turkeys, t- they love it absolutely. Yeah. One one reason to to lightly cover up, uh, you know, any seed that you put out just to hide it. Clovers. 
are so small that I've never I haven't seen it. It's not a big a problem, mm-hmm. uh, but the larger seeds, absolutely. Yeah, and and every bird in the in the county is going to come when you put those seeds out. The doves are going to be everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, so I know we had a question from a listener, which is kind of interesting because it's the same question that I had, Brad. And that, and Wayne, this comes from a young lady, where was it, in Tennessee? Uh, yeah, Tennessee. Christine from Tennessee. Yeah, Christine from Tennessee has the same question I have. If we have our seed left over, we didn't use it all, or we didn't get a chance to put our fall food plots in, can we, are those still good for us to use for the spring food plots? So if we're talking about winter annuals such as wheat or brassicas, Austrian winter peas, things like that that we would not grow so well planted in the spring, keep them cool and dry until August and September, and we can definitely you know plant those then. If we're talking about corn, soybean, peas, things like that, then that you did not plant last year, you might want to do a, what we call a ragdoll test and do a quick germination on those. You can do it at home okay. in uh, wet paper towels and a Tupperware container. Just simply roll you know, 25 to 50 seeds up, wet them down, keep them wet over a week-long period of time, and pull them out and see how many of them actually sprouted. So that's that's a good, quick, easy germination test that you can do at home to decide what your seeding rate would be for this coming spring. Okay. And I know I've got a bag of uh, of the uh, uh, American Roots, the uh, smorgasbord, the, the smorgasbord uh, that I didn't get planted back in the fall, and I'm thinking, well, will it still be good for next fall, or is it something I could go ahead and plant now and, and already have it in the ground? So I know you all produce the smorgasbord. Is that something I can put in? For spring and, and hope it's all still there in the fall, or do I need to wait? I would wait. I would wait yeah. for for fall. Just keep that one cool and dry. It has not, uh, you know, been stored through the heat of the summer. Mm-hmm. That is what really hurts seeds germination and their vigor is the the hotness. So last summer's, you know, June, July, August. How was that seed stored then? You didn't get smorgasbord until the fall, so it should be fine, but you need to protect it this summer. And that's something that when I was out there on Tuesday, um, I stopped by the Eagle Seed Factory on Tuesday, and they – that uh, Cody was telling me, it's you know, as long as you keep it cool and dry, you're fine. It's it's the heat that's going to kill your seed, not the cold temperatures. Because I was worried, hey, you know, I, di- I have a few bags that I didn't get, you know, everything planted in them. I didn't put them up into the cabin where it's going to stay, you know, warm. Uh, is it going to be damaged because we had temperatures in the single digits? He's like, no, not at all. He says yeah, it's I, the heat yeah, that you got to worry about. Mine's in the barn. Okay. So it's in the barn. Yeah. It's in the dry. And I would assume that keeping that bag from getting wet is also a factor, right? It is yes. You know we have we can store seed for many many years, many decades actually in cold storage. So uh, keeping the varmints out in a barn <laughs> is probably your biggest challenge. Well, the bag hasn't been opened. So uh, and I checked it the other day, and, and so far the mice and the field mice and the whatever else is out there haven't found it because I keep my corn and my my chicken feed in open containers, so they're just going there. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yes. <laughs> Less effort. <Yeah. laughs> well, here's another question then for you. So we've talked about getting our soil ready. We've talked about temperatures and that. But now let's talk about what do we want to plant in the springtime? If we're springtime, we're thinking turkey hunting. So what can we plant in the springtime 
to start attracting those turkeys. And Brad, if you will, we need to take a break before we get into that because I know that's going to be a great lengthy discussion and we'll take it up when we come back right after this. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and friends. Hi everybody, this is Jessica White with Wonder Woman Kansas. You're listening to American Roots Outdoors with Alex Rutledge and friends. So you never gotta worry what the wind might Hi everybody, this is Alex Rutledge with American Roots Outdoors. How many of you need an attorney? If you're like me, sometimes you do. I go to Zane Prevet at the Prevet Law Office, Willow Springs, Missouri. No case is too big or too small. You can call Zane at 417-469-3535. Zane Prevet at the Brevet Law Office. This is Alex Rutledge, and he is my attorney. Eagle Seed presents American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge and his friends. Alfred Bone, Mike Grace, Wayne Locks in the studio. We've got uh, Brad Doyle from Eagle Seed on the line with us, and we've been uh, just trying to cover getting y'all ready for the spring turkey hunt and other spring hunts that you may be doing uh, and getting your, your food plots ready. And, uh, you know, we've covered, uh, uh, Wayne, if folks weren't with us early in the show, we covered uh, fertilizer and lime and getting our soil ready. Uh, this past segment we, we talked about, you know, maybe leftover seed that we have. So now I know we want to get into some specifics in what we uh, or what Brad suggests that we plant here in the spring to get ready for the spring turkey hunt, which is primarily what we're putting food plots in this time of the year. So, uh, Brad, uh, you know, it, it's all yours. What do you suggest we do to get ready for the spring turkey hunt? Great question. So if you have not planted a fall plot that contains clover, then I would I would look at an annual, some of the more improved annuals, we have one called Top 5 Clover. They will grow faster and establish quicker than your long-term perennial types. I would frost seed next month, February, on fields that I want to turkey hunt specifically. Because we can't, you know, if we have to wait until till May to plant a food plot, it, it's not going to be very beneficial to hunt over. Okay. So I would say target clover as a species frost seed late February, and then if you want to look at long-term, let's go into next fall with a perennial clover that will take you into the following year and year after year. Does that make sense? Absolutely makes sense. And, and one of the things that guys want to do, Brad, and, and you know how important this is because I know you're a deer hunter too, is they want to get something in the ground growing in the food plots. They're going to bring the deer in. Uh, during the spring and maybe hold them through the summer. So where are we going in that regard? Number one would be soybeans for the nutrition, the attraction. And for that very reason, it's tough for a lot of people to grow soybeans on small acres. So consider the area that you can plant, the the fertility we talked about, checking the pH. And then also, what is what is your deer density like? If you have really high deer density, you're prone to overbrowsing. We may want to plant a different species that will, you know, tend to give cover 
keeping deer on your property, that would be a you know a great solution to uh, travel corridors and trying to pull deer off your neighbors. Uh, but absolutely, attraction, soybeans number one. If we if we plant enough soybeans, they make enough beans on them that can carry you through the winter for both deer and turkey. Win win. Okay, what about chufa? Chufa is a uh, commonly grown in Spain. That's where a lot of the seed comes from. It would be planted if you want to plant chufa in the spring. You're not going to get the benefit till this fall because it actually has to make the tuber below ground, mm-hmm. and that's what the turkey wants to scratch up and eat. Okay, so that's something you would plant now for the fall turkey hunting and for, would, the, yeah, for them to dig it, up during the wintertime in that. I plant it around the same time you'd plant your corn or soybeans. Oh, you okay. have to get it established. And, it, yeah, it's kind of a, pro. Uh, what would you call it? It would be a delayed food plot. Plant it now on sandy soils, mind you. You want those turkeys to be able to, to scratch it out of the ground very readily. So that's why uh, it's it's grown a lot in the southeast states uh, on sandier type ground. Okay. Now, we do have a listener question uh, from Corey uh, here in Missouri, and that is, He's asking about where to plant. Now, he has a couple small food plots, but he says he only gets a couple hours of sun. The rest of the day, the you know, majority of it is going to be in shade. And what do you recommend for shade, if that's pretty much all you have to grow in? Yeah, most – yeah, that's a great question. Uh, clover. Clover will be my top choice for that in uh, most of the spring and summer growing period. If you have hardwoods that drop their leaves, you can – be successful with winter uh, winter blends that contain you know wheat, oats, cereal rye, brassicas such as turnip, radish, rape, collard, kale, things like that. Okay. They will they will do okay if we're talking quarter acre, half acre. It, you know, tree lines are always going to be an issue right there below the the main trunk on, on shading. Mm-hmm. But yeah, clover is probably my best choice for that. And all that other stuff you mentioned that you can put that down in the springtime too. No, uh, those would be fall. Those would be fall. Okay. Uh, summertime, the plants like corn, soybeans, grain sorghum, they need that full sun, you know, eight okay. hours exactly. or better to achieve the growth that you want. Mm-hmm. If not, you're going to see smaller stems, smaller leaves, puny plants are just not going to grow off like they would if they were out in the field or more open plot. Okay. Yeah, and probably not going to be as attractive to the wildlife either. Yeah, correct. They won't carry as many animals. So yeah. the deer come in there, there's just a few plants, they eat them up. You're not going to be happy with that. Yeah, Brad, I know we've talked uh, with you in the future many times about maybe layering your food plots and clovers around the edges and then your other stuff in the middle where there might be more sun. And that's always a great idea for folks that maybe are putting in smaller plots. Yes, great. A variety is a wonderful thing. I've visited some customers' farms through the years, and a lot of them will actually take, you know, 10-acre fields and break them up into smaller three, four-acre fields with, you know, using taller grass species. We have a blend we call forage fence, which is some tall uh, sorghums and millets. They really don't – they're not attractive to deer, but they provide cover. Mm. They, They provide a visual barrier, so deer come in earlier in the daytime. Um, you know, they're not spooked whenever they see all the way across the field. If you if you were to want to walk into your deer stand, you can be you know, be hidden by some of these. We would we call these uh, you know, travel corridors and uh but mm-hmm. yeah, forage fence is one we use for that very reason. 
variety. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to try different things. Uh, deer, deer like that. Uh, I don't know if you'll call it a buffet choice, but that's what they like. Well, and your your forage fence is also beneficial to other species because you talk about the millet in that. There's a lot of birds in that that would go nuts over that. Birds, I, yes, absolutely. You have the heads that are made. Uh, we have rabbits that go in there and mm-hmm. you know eat on the smaller plants. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of wildlife that benefit from that. And that's what I did at Alex's this year uh, when I put his food plots in. Is we did. Um, he has that big field, and we put it five different sections in there, and you know, divide it up and put five different sections in there. So this way, they all came up at different times, so the deer could move around and not over, you know, do one area, you know, the whole field. And they gave him a variety, and you could see them just kind of work their way around the field as the you know weeks progressed. They would start mm-hmm. hitting other things and give the uh, like the clover and all that a break, start you know coming back up again. Then they start heading back over there again. We call it a wagon wheel. So if you like to hunt from an elevated box blind and you're looking out, if you can imagine half of a wagon wheel and you have lanes in, in these different pies that that the uh, animals feed in and they're uh, more sense of security and, and uh, the variety there is, is pretty awesome to hunt over. Yeah, if I'm going, if I'm going to put out a wagon wheel type, uh, I'm going to put my... Uh my elevated blind right in the middle. There you go. <laughs> you can have a full wagon wheel. Yeah, with, 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 with six sides and a window on every side. All right, uh, Brad Dole has been our guest today. And, uh, folks, if you're, if you're interested in hearing more from Brad, uh, Wayne, we're going we're gonna to have Brad on during the bonus segment here in just a moment. Yep. And what I'd like to talk to Brad about, because this is an issue that we hear about a lot, and that is, well, I tried putting flu- food pots in, but the deer eat them down before they even get grown up, and I, they don't. I don't get much benefit from them, but there's a way to prevent that. That's pretty simple. I know we've talked to Brad about putting up electric fence and a particular design to putting that fence up. So, Brad, do you mind sharing that with folks again on the bonus segment? Absolutely. Be glad to. All right. Uh, Wayne, tell people how to get the bonus. And, and if, you, if you're if you interested, folks, and we always talk about the bonus on the podcast, but the entire show is actually on the podcast. Right. Uh, so if you uh, didn't hear the first segment, we were talking about uh, lime and fertilizer. You can actually go to the website and go to the podcast and hear that segment. Or if you didn't hear the second segment about getting our, our uh, what seed to use and when to plant, you can go back and listen to that segment, se- second segment or the segment uh, here uh, that we've just talked about. So that's, I think it's important we don't mention, I don't think, enough that the entire show is on the podcast, not just the bonus. Right, and if you missed last week's show or the week before, you go back and listen to it. You can go back and listen to the last three years yeah, exactly. <laughs> of the three seasons we have of the uh, the radio show, and that's the best thing about it. Plus, you don't have to worry about taking notes. You can just play it again and say, oh, okay, here's I missed it. But listen, to get to the podcast, the bonus segment, just go to your favorite podcast carrier, type in American Roots Outdoors, and uh, you'll click the subscribe button. You'll get all the updates on us. And make sure if you leave us a review, make sure you leave your name and the state you're from in the review so we can contact you if your name is drawn for a win. And, folks, don't forget the American Roots Outdoors webpage where there's some new apparel coming and some new calls coming and, and all kinds of new stuff happening. Yes, and we also have a new Facebook page, American Roots Outdoors Podcast. Go to that Facebook group page because we have a lot of local discussion where you can communicate directly with us. All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up for the radio portion of our, our program for today. I'm Red Bull Mike Grace, Wayne Locke for Alex Rutledge and Brad Doyle. When your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. So you never got to worry what the wind might do, American Roots. Thank you.
for joining us for today's American Roots Outdoors Radio with Alex Rutledge. You can find us on Facebook. Look us up on the World Wide Web at AmericanRootsOutdoors.com. We'll be back again next week on this great radio station. Wise Eye Technology presents... Welcome back to American Roots Outdoors. If you're listening to this, that means you are on the bonus segment. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a review. And if you leave us a review, make sure you leave your name and the state you're from in the review so we can contact you because we do pull winners every couple of weeks for some great prizes. Um, Brad, <laughs> there's so much information that you gave in this uh this show so far, this is one of the advantages of the podcast is that you can go back and listen to it. If you missed it, you, you don't have to worry about taking notes. Just go back, listen to it again. And if you missed this week, you can just go, you know, anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week and pull up the podcast and listen to it again. All right. So, Brad, uh, when we're into the radio portion of the show, uh, uh, I asked you if you could expound on something, because one of the complaints that we hear uh, from especially the deer hunters is, well, I tried putting in a food plot, but the deer were eating it down just as fast as I could get it to grow. So it really didn't give me a whole lot of good. But there is a pretty simple way to prevent that using electric fence, but it has to be done in a particular way. So, And I know you've covered this in years past, but tell us again how to build this electric fence that's going to protect our food plots when it's young from the deer just eating it down to a nub. So go to your you know, local hardware store that, that services the livestock industry and find a solar charger, mm-hmm. uh, solar electric fence charger, the wire. You can use the poly tape. I think that's more commonly used mm-hmm. for this type of fencing. The, the fence posts don't have to be very, very big, very strong, uh, because they're not going to be very tall. It's a two, two-layer fence. It's only 24 inches tall. Imagine the inside layer about 12 inches off the ground and 24 inches. The outside layer, which is about 30 inches to the outside, is only is about 18 inches off the ground. Wow. So this is a very short fence, but the depth perception of deer is uh, such that it tricks them uh, into, uh, you know, not jumping the fence. So they, they don't know how to tell how far away it is, so they stay away from it. Uh, you, you've got the whole system electrified, so if they do touch it, uh, some people actually encourage them to touch it with <laughs> a little bit of aluminum foil and peanut butter. Oh, there you go. So if you can imagine that, it will protect your young, you know, forage-type soybeans, eagle seed, are our, our, our preferred uh, planting for spring, mm-hmm. uh, nutrition-wise, and I would probably give them six to eight weeks of growth before I turn the fence off. And when you do turn it off, remove the fence. We don't want them seeing a uh, a neutralized fence that's not charged and getting comfortable with that. We sure. want them to uh, respect the electricity that's running that fence. So, if I understand this right, uh, and we're going to put we're going to actually put two fences around the the uh, the food plot. We're going to put one about twenty four inches tall, and then how far over before we put the second fence? Yeah. So there's actually two layers, the inside mm-hmm. layer at 12 inches and 24 inches. Gotcha. Okay. And about 30 inches away, about 18 inches off the ground. Wow. Single strand. So you're only going to have a total of three strands. The inner fence is going to have two strands. The outer fence will only have one strand. And are all three going to be energized or are you talking yes. just the 18-inch one? That's all correct. Three. All three. Okay. Wow. And, and one of the things I've... Talking to the fence charger guys, 
that do this in the Ozark Mountains. When we get really hot and dry, the grounding rods are very, very critical. So they recommend actually two six-foot grounding rods on a system like that. Okay, I guess what one on each one on each uh, each fence. No, it's uh, well, yeah, right there in the proximity of the charger. Yeah. Gotcha. It's just whenever we get into low moisture areas, the conductivity of the fence goes down. So you want it to be well grounded, and uh, oh. it seems like it's you know it's overkill, but that is what they recommend for uh, maximum voltage running through the fence. And I wouldn't worry about overkill for the 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 cheapness of a ground rod. <laughs> you know, for the amount of money you'll save from having your uh, food plot destroyed by the deer, it's worth that, you know, $9 for a ground rod. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of people overlook that simple cost and how important that that grounding of that system it really is to the overall uh, productivity of it. So that's relatively uh, simple in a way, folks, to keep those deer out of your food plot during the critical growing portion of getting that food plot. Uh, four to six, six to eight weeks, something like that. Well, now, Brad. Now, here's a question for you. Now, if we're keeping those deer off of there to let them grow, to let that food plot grow for the fall time, what can we be putting out to keep? Can you put something out away from it to help them with antler growth Absolutely. during that yeah, time you, that you're you, protecting the other plots? Some people actually sacrifice uh, part of that plot. Yes, you you can put soybeans, or you know, in some cases. Uh, if you don't have a planter or drill, you can, but you have the grass. You know, we talked about broadcasting into into taller grass and mowing it down. Uh, that's a simple, easy way to get plants established with with minimal effort. Uh, if you're going to do it that way, I would like to do it ahead of a rain, and so the rain and the the chaff that you've mowed down will help. Um, you know, provide enough moisture for those small seeds to come up there. But any, yeah, any of the summer seedlings would, would help. Okay, yeah, the throw and mow technique. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now I know we've been always we're always seem to be talking about bucks, buck antlers, bucks, bucks, bucks. But this um, the spring plots are also very beneficial to does and production of milk. Correct for the the fawns and the yearlings. Absolutely. Yeah, they are they are requiring a lot of nutrition and and. Be honest. The soybeans provide a lot of water uh, through the, the deer. So even in a drought year, they can they can take up a lot of moisture through the plants. We have often have customers who talk about the deer bedding down in our tall forage soybeans, and uh, that's pretty exciting to see young fawns that have you know feel comfort and safety within a food plot itself. And if you don't have a lot of habitat. Uh, to keep your deer hidden from, say, coyotes and things like that, a great forage-type food plot is uh, has more than just one benefit. Let me say that. Yeah, I know we talked to uh, a neighbor down the street, uh, Nikki, and her husband. They put in a couple food plots in their front yard area. I say yard, but <laughs> it's the front of their farm. And they did not put an electric fence around it, but they did cage off uh, one section in each one of the plots. And I found it funny, and I actually had pictures I posted on Facebook when I went and uh, helped them with their food plot last year, um, prepping it for the fall time and that. But they had their your soybeans were about five feet tall that were in the cage, and they were about a half inch tall outside of the cage. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was just funny to see these cages that were about three foot in diameter that were – well, they were, actually, they were probably more like four foot in diameter – 
but they were the deer were trying to get through the cage and they were like pulling and nubbing at the soybeans trying to pull them out to get them but it's just to see these little cages sitting out in these fields that are five feet tall but everything else is a, a half inch tall was just funny as, as can be not funny to me not so much to them yeah, but, <laughs> I, I would i would guarantee you all right uh, folks you've been listening to american roots outdoors we've been talking with uh, brad doyle from eagle seed brad where can people go if they want to get more information or want to buy eagle seed how do we go about getting that done and how to order yeah, we have a lot of great information at eagleseed.com, or you can call us at 870-684-7377, and we have quite a few here on staff that would be able to help you uh, make a decision on what to plant, when to plant, and how to plant. And they don't, if somebody calls you and say they, they bought a product from somebody else, you still have no problem talking to them about what how to do their plots and stuff, do you? Not at all, because, I mean, we're here to help uh, with our experience and, uh, you know, simple, any support we give you, you know, we, we, we've got lifelong friends and customers, uh, you know, we, we are willing to help the industry. We want to protect and preserve uh, the outdoors and, and sportsmen. So, yeah, we're in this together. We want to promote the outdoor industry and do our part. So, Brad, before we leave, and we didn't, and we should have earlier, I guess, in the program, uh, I know the hunting season is pretty much over now. Did you have successful hunts this winter? I did not, but I enjoy watching deer. I have more deer on our farm because of the food plots and the uh, habitat improvement that we do. So that, to me, is just as uh, exciting and fun as actually getting to harvest. But uh, look forward to turkey season because that's one of my passions, and uh, the state of Missouri is one of the best to go to. So. No doubt about that. <laughs> All right, very good. All right, uh, Brad Doyle, thank you very much for being with us today. And, and I'm, I'm sure that we're going to have you on again before we get uh, to the planning, the actual planning season. Sounds great. Be glad to. All right, Brad Doyle from Eagle Seed. I'm Red Bull Mike Crace for Alex Rutledge, who I think is going to try and get back with us next week. I think Correct. We'll back, uh, Alex will be back with us next week. Uh, and for Wayne Locke, when your roots run deep and strong, there's no reason to fear the wind. <laughs>